It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Dustin. I'm the worship pastor around here. I've been gone for the last couple of weeks, so it is a joy to get to see you. This last week, as Pastor Christie was talking about, we had the fourth, fifth grade mission trip, and this is my third to go on. I love going on this trip. It's absolutely exhausting, but what I love about this particular group of fourth and fifth graders, yes, I'm biased because I have a daughter in it. But I I have watched this group grow up, many of them since they were three and four years old. And what I love about this group in particular is it's an abnormal group in that they have a freedom and a passion when they praise God that is just so inspiring to me. I love it. When they sing, like, they go for it. Boys and girls, they just go for it. When they praise God, it is with everything they've got. And when they served God, they worshiped him with their hands too. They served with that same freedom and that same passion. And on the last day, we were getting ready to come, come back here, and, and we, were, we were kind of doing some closing time, and, and they were singing a song. And I was in the back of the room, and yes, my body was tired, and I get a little weepy when I was tired, but I was just, I, I, was, I was weeping over them and just praying that God would take that freedom that, that is in that group and that nothing not junior high and high school, not anything would steal that freedom and that joy that they have. Because I love seeing that. Because as I'm watching this and I'm praying over them, I'm thinking, this is exactly what God wants for each one of us. To live with that kind of freedom, to be able to to live the way he has created us to live, to praise him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I believe that's really what we've been looking at as we've gone through this hope series that we've been in for the last couple of months. To be able to have a hope, to hold on to a hope. And in this series, we've looked at, at different six different factors or different ways to, to keep your hope tank filled. Recharging your batteries, raising your expectations, refocus on the future. And with each one of those, we've looked at these important areas. But today, as we go through them, we're going to look at a message called Play great defense. Play great defense because even if you do all of those things, discouragement, disappointment is going to come. And so we need to be very intentional about playing great defense. Now, if you know Pastor Kent, our lead pastor, just at the title of this message, you know exactly what he would be talking about right now. How good the Broncos' defense used to be. How dominant that team was in the past, right? Well, the good news is we don't have to just go to sports illustrations for this. We can go with them. Excuse me. Just for those who are not into the sports world, when we talk about playing defense, I think this is helpful. When you're playing defense, you're not the team with the ball. The other team has the ball, and they're trying to score on you, and you're trying to prevent them from scoring. But we play defense in a lot of different aspects of our lives, don't we? We play defense in that we lock the doors to our houses and our cars at night. We're defending against somebody getting into our stuff. We play defense with our health many times and in different ways. Maybe you have a family history of a certain type of health challenge, and, and so you've tried to, to live somewhat of a healthier lifestyle to be able to, to, to avoid some of the complications. We're, we have defensive driving, where we're trying to drive in a way that we don't get into an accident. We also have the thing called defensive passenger driving. Any married couples? You know which one it is. 
Yes, it's when the car is, is slowing down 100 yards in front of you, and it's like they are two inches from your bumper, right? You know that. Because we don't want to get into an accident. I am the least athletic person on our church staff. My brother's got all the athletic ability. My dad was a coach. I've been around it all my life, but I have never actually been the one playing the defense. But I do know this about defense. You must know what you are defending. You must know how the game is played. You must know what you're defending against. If I am playing football and I think I am defending against the ball going out of bounds, I may succeed at keeping the ball from going out of bounds, but the other team is going to score a bunch of points and I'm going to lose the game. We have to know what we're defending. We have to be intentional with it. And I will ask it as this question. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Who or what have you put your hope in? More than just a feeling of I hope something happens, but where have you placed your hope? For followers of Jesus, we believe that there is only one. There is only one hope that we can have that will not disappoint us ultimately. And that hope is that hope that we have with Jesus. That hope that one day there's going to be a resurrection and we will be with him. There will be no more pain, no more tears, no more death. And we will be with Jesus for eternity. That is our hope, right? That is our hope. And scripture tells us it's a hope that will not disappoint But that doesn't mean that we won't along the way be disappointed or feel disappointed with God. In fact, I believe some of the people that you and I look up to the most as far as their faith, we look at them and we're like, ah, I wish I had a faith like that. I I would guess that many of them are people who have wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with God and feeling disappointed. And that's okay. Engage with him. Go to him wrestle with him. But we have that hope, that ultimate hope. And because we have that hope, many, many will say, well, everything else in this world has the capacity to disappoint. And that's true. Every other relationship, every other thing we can put our hope in might disappoint us. But here's, here's the thing. Some have said, well, since we have one hope that is sure, we shouldn't hope in anything else. And I say, well, why not? Why not? If I have a hope that is so secure in Jesus and that hope and that future with him, that should free me up to be hopeful in all these different areas. That should free me up to say, you know what? I have a great hope that my marriage is going to just be amazing. I have hope that my kids are going to have a tremendous future. I have a great hope for my community. We should be freed up because, yes, they all have the capacity to disappoint, but we still have this over here, this great hope that is not going to disappoint. So we can have a hope in many different areas of our lives. I think this should mean that because we have this hope, if we can remember that we have this hope, this should free us up as followers of Jesus to be some of the most hope-filled people on the planet. Because we can put our hope in Jesus, and it's secure. And so all the other stuff, we can have a hope in as well. You will take hits. You will find disappointment and discouragement in life. Pastor Kent has said multiple times in this series, it's universal. It happens. Some of you are disappointed right now and discouraged right now. And the worst thing that I can tell you with Play Great Defense would be, you just need to try harder. Just try harder. Give a little bit more effort. Try harder. See, when we're playing defense, 
the other team scores, it doesn't mean you have bad defense. I've never seen a football team or a basketball team or any team over the course of a season, as great as their defenses were, be perfect. The defense isn't defined by perfection. Your defense is defined by how you respond when you take the hits. Will you get up and keep going or will you just give up? Don't give up. Get up. But again, it's not about trying harder. That's the good news today, is that we're going to look in the Word in Scripture, and we're going to find that God has actually given us a gift, something that we can, we can put into action in our lives that will actually be a way to play great defense because God wants you to play great defense, to keep that hope tank filled. And that thing that God has given us, that gift, is the armor of God. And we find the armor of God in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has been writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And when he gets to the end of the letter, he writes this, beginning in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the armor of God. I want to make a few kind of big picture observations on this passage, and then we're going to look very specifically at some very practical ways that we can put this into action in our lives as it relates to defending against discouragement and keeping our hope, uh, defending our hope. But first, the big picture ideas. First, number one, this is God's armor. And this is probably the most obvious message point I've ever put in a message ever. Because it's called the armor of God. This is God's armor. But I, I mean something different in this. I actually learned while I was studying for this message that this armor, it was taught to me this way. Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter. And he is in a Roman prison. And in this Roman prison, there would have been guards and soldiers with this armor on. And so what I understood was that Paul was using what he had around him as kind of an illustration, a metaphor for the, the spiritual battle of life. And there's some truth in that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But this armor is not something that Paul made up on his own. I, I didn't know this. That you can actually find the armor of God in the Old Testament. I can't go through all the passages, but in Isaiah, for example, Isaiah 59, verse 17, it says, He, God, put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. This is God's armor. This isn't Paul's invention or creativity. This is God's armor, and it is for you. He has made it available for you. It's a gift, and it's going to fit. Because there's another passage in Scripture that talks about armor, David and Goliath. 
With David and Goliath, you have a shepherd boy going up against this giant Goliath. He's going to go to battle. And before he goes to battle, he goes to King Saul, and the king tries to put his armor made for a tall adult man on the shepherd boy, and it does not fit. Have you ever tried to put on somebody else's armor? For example, I have friends who I admire and love who are the most positive and optimistic people I have ever met. I love them. They, they have a, just this way of, of going through. They acknowledge that some, sometimes things are hard, but they just have a good outlook. And I have tried to put on their armor. I have tried to just be more positive, just be optimistic. That does not work for me. I mean, it works for a while, but it doesn't work. Because I'm trying to put on somebody else's armor. This is God's armor, and it's for you, and it's going to fit. The second thing that I see in this passage is that our fight is different. Our fight isn't the fight of the way of this world. You see, if this is just Roman armor, then our fight is just like the Romans, where we're just going to cut off the heads of those who come against us. That is not the fight that we have. Verse 12 of Ephesians 6 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The good news is our neighbors are not our enemy. We're called to love them and to reach them. We can't do that if we're fighting them. But we do have a battle because we do have an enemy. And that enemy, Satan, is described as a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. He's the father of lies and he's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's where our battle is. It's not the battle in the way of the world. It's a spiritual battle. So now we're going to look at the different elements in this passage and there are a lot of different applications that you can make about the armor of God. But, so, so this is not like an exhaustive list. But I wanted to give some practical application as it, as it relates to this idea of defending our hope, defending against discouragement, against despair. The first is that we must put on the belt of truth because past failures will steal your hope. Put on the belt of truth because past failures will steal your hope. We all have past failures. We all have those things in our past that we look at, and, and yeah, we learned a lot from those. We learned a lot of different things, good things even, but they were painful, weren't they? Those failures hurt. And I've said before that it's not so much the pain that causes us trouble, it's the lies that we believe in the midst of the pain that trips us up. And so we need the belt of truth. In biblical times, they would have this belt, and if, if they needed to run, they could, they could hike up their tunic and fold it into that belt to hold it up so they wouldn't trip over their tunic while they're running. When we play loose with the truth, we end up tripping over the lies that we have believed. When we play loose with the truth, we're trying to run the race at the pace that God has put in place for us, but we can't do it because we're tripping over the lies that we've believed about ourselves and about our circumstances. So we need to tighten that belt of truth. Some of us are playing really loose with the truth these days. And we're finding ourselves frustrated because we're tripping over the lies. We need to know what God says about us and about our past. The second item, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because bitterness and resentment will kill your hope. 
the breastplate of righteousness. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Righteousness is a purity of heart and a purity of action. It's a right standing with God. And when you put your faith in Jesus, it is credited to you as righteousness. This, this breastplate of righteousness is actually not about what you and I can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. This breastplate of righteousness will guard your heart, that place in, in that seed of our emotions, that place where we hold on to many good things and we hold on to some not so good things. Like unforgiveness that just festers and grows into a bitterness and a resentment. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The breastplate of righteousness reminds us of what God has done for us already, that he has forgiven us. And it may be difficult, but I find it much easier to be a forgiving person of others when I remember how much I have already been forgiven. And forgiveness is not easy. Oftentimes, it's not a one-time thing, and we're done, and we move on. Forgiveness can take time. There are, there are things that I have forgiven people for, and they come up at the weirdest of times, and I have to just kind of forgive again, forgive again, just keep letting go of it, reminding myself of what Christ has done for me already. Because bitterness and resentment will spoil the soil of your heart, and no good fruit can grow from a bitter soil. Number three, we need to have feet fitted with readiness, readiness from the gospel of peace, because looking back in comparison will destroy your hope. Your direction, not your intention, will determine your destination. When you are looking back, when you are looking around, you may think you're going in a straight line, but you are not. I learned this. I learned this when I was teaching my daughter Maisie how to drive. If you've ever taught somebody how to drive, you know where I'm going with this. We, we were out in this parking lot. And I thought, this parking lot is nice and big and wide. There's not a lot of stuff in the middle of it. It's amazing how close those light poles feel when you have a teenage driver. <laughs> but she's driving along, and we're going slow. But she looked to her left, and you know what's going to happen. The wheel starts to turn to the left. She looks to the right, and the wheel starts to turn to the right. When you start looking back, when you start comparing what your, your life looks like with others, we end up off track just slowly drifting. We need to run the race that has been laid out for us, the race that's laid out for you, not somebody else's race. What's the race that was laid out for you? Not even the race that you once ran. What's the one that God has you on now? Keep your eyes fixed on, fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and he is the one who will help you keep those feet fitted with readiness. Number four, we need to take up the shield of faith because guilt will kill your hope. The shield of faith because guilt will kill your hope. I think we've all at some point in time felt this, this guilt, this guilt of condemnation, this guilt of it's just useless. There's no hope. There's no, no use in trying. I just, can't, I, I just can't do it. Just feeling condemned. The opposite of that is faith, which says, okay, God, I believe that you are who you say you are. You've done what you've said you've done, and because of that, I am who you say I am. 
And that's what faith does is it reminds us of, of who we are and it reminds us of who God is. But once again, sometimes our faith is weak. Sometimes our faith is struggling. But the good news is that even in our weakness, he is strong. For as often as my faith may wane at times, his faithfulness is sure and secure. Because again, the armor of God isn't necessarily about what we can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. See, I think you could even go so far as to say the armor of God is actually Jesus himself. The armor of God is Jesus himself guarding us with us. What I also love about this that, that I learned these last couple of weeks was there is something that kind of gets lost in translation from the original language. In the Greek, this passage is different than what we see in this way. When we picture this passage, we hear Paul saying, put on the armor of God. And oftentimes I think we picture ourselves, maybe in a field or something, putting on the armor of God. One solitary soldier against the enemy. That's not what this actually says. In the original language, there are, it's in the plural form. So Paul is actually telling everybody. He's telling the church. He is saying, hey, church, put on the full armor of God, every single one of you. And so then having done that, you can take that shield, that four-foot by two-and-a-half-foot shield, and you can go side by side by side and bottom to top and create this shield. And you can say, oh, your faith is weak right now? Get behind my shield. Oh, my faith is weak right now. I'm going to get behind your shield. And together with Jesus in front of us, we can move forward. That's what the church is supposed to be. That place where we can find that safety to say, right now, right now I've taken some hits and I need, I need some encouragement. I need you. I need us together with our arms locked together. I said it in the first, and I believe somebody right now needs to hear this. It's Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There might be consequences in life. I'm not saying we're, we're exempt from that. But you are not condemned by Jesus if you are in him. The next thing we need to put on is the helmet of salvation. Because worry and anxiety will steal your hope. Not like it's a competition, but I will tell you that if worry and anxiety was a competition, I score above average. Anybody else? Anybody? Yeah, you can score a little bit above average. Like if it was a spiritual gift, it would be my top one. Uh, worry and anxiety. Two years ago, I shared a message on mental health, and I shared some of my own journey with it. And I'm just going to, this is kind of a timeout. I believe that every single human being on the face of the earth would benefit at some time or another in their lives by working with a therapist. Because we all go through stuff. So if you need a therapist, please get help. If you, if you are or have been or need to be prescribed a medication that will help you with that, good. You are not a less than successful or true Christian or follower of Jesus. You are not less than. You are human. We would go to the doctor if our body physically was hurt. Why in the world would we ever think anything different when it comes to our mental health? So if you need to get that, please do. I have done it myself. 
Please do that. But we also need to put on the helmet of salvation. And putting on the helmet of salvation uh, in, in Philippians 4, 7, I love this verse. It says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. I need the peace of God. Anybody else? They guard my heart and my mind. That peace of God comes from knowing that in Christ we have been saved and we are being saved. And that God is doing something that we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And that includes our minds. Scripture tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16 that we have been given the mind of Christ. And I will be honest with you, I don't even begin to, to think I have a grasp on what that even means. But we have been given the mind of Christ. And Paul tells us in Romans 12 to, to be renewing our minds, constantly renewing our minds, learning how to live in this new life that he has given us. Because when we have the mind of Christ, we know how to see the truth and we know how to win the war in the mind. Very practically, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. I used to beat myself up because I would have thoughts that, that maybe were, were dark or just felt wrong. I cannot control the thoughts that come into my mind, but I can control what I do with those thoughts. You see, we don't have to just say every thought that comes in our mind, pull up a table, let's have a conversation. We take those thoughts captive. If they don't line up with what Jesus has said about us and about the life that we have, that needs to go. You do not have to entertain every thought that comes into your mind. You do not have to feel condemned by the thoughts that come into your mind, but you do need to take them captive. You do need to take them captive. Be reminded of the truth of what God says about you. He loves you. He died for you. You are an overcomer. You may not feel like it, but you are because that's what the word of God says about you. You are an overcomer. Which brings us, actually, to the final element of the armor of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. It's hard to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with readiness, the belt of truth. I think I got all of them. It's hard to, and the shield of faith. It's hard to put all of those on if we do not know the word. We need to be in the word so that we know how to come against the enemy with the truth. Because the enemy knows the word too. And the enemy will twist it. He's the father of lies. He will twist it and try to make you doubt and try to make you question everything. But we must know the word, church. We must be in it. Speak it over your life. Speak it into situations that seem hopeless. Speak what God has done through Jesus Christ. Speak it into your life. Because sometimes the best defense is just a little bit of offense on your own. Use the sword of the Spirit not to cut off the heads of our enemies, of our neighbors, but by speaking the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So this is God's armor. It's God's armor for you. Number two, our fight is different. Our fight is a spiritual battle. And finally, put on the full armor. All of it. Put on the full armor. See, it's a daily choice to put on the armor of God. It's a daily choice to say, okay, God, I believe this is what you have done through Jesus Christ for me, and I'm going to go into this day with that. 
I'm going to go into this day with that truth, guarding my mind, my heart, my life. But so often we look at the armor of God and we say, hmm, not today. When instead we should be saying, Satan, nope, not today. I'm going to put on the full armor of God and you really don't have much you can do with me because scripture tells us that the enemy can do very little with us. He cannot take us away from God's hand. He cannot take us away from his protection and his love. And that should really make us fairly dangerous to the darkness because we have this hope that is secure. It's a daily choice. But often in our lives and in my life, I found that I, I will try to just kind of do it my own way. And you're taking hits. You're taking hits from the, the arrows of the enemy. You're taking these hits and hit after hit after hit. And maybe you try to convince yourself to quote a really weird movie. It's just a flesh wound. I know who the, the goofy people are now. It's just a flesh wound, but you've got arrows sticking out of your body. And in desperation then, since we haven't put on the full armor of God, in desperation we grab the sword of the Spirit. And we're desperate. But what really we probably should have done was put on the breastplate of righteousness, and we wouldn't have had those arrows in us in the beginning. But we reach in desperation, and then we go, um, I think there's something in here. I don't know where. Learn to put on the full armor of God. It's a gift. It's a gift for you to help you play great defense. I love in this passage that there's a word that jumps out to me every time I read it, and it's the word stand. Paul is constantly saying in four verses, he says it at least four times, to stand, to stand firm, to stand, and having done all, to stand. I think Paul wants us to do something. To stand. But sometimes we, we're taking hits. We're taking so many hits that it would be easier just to lay down. I mean, really, we can summarize the armor of God by taking away the metaphor to begin with. That if we will build our life on truth, on righteousness, on readiness, on faith, on salvation, on the word, we're going to have a firm foundation. But the hits still come. The hits will still come. The great news is this isn't about you trying harder. It's about you and I receiving what Jesus has already done. Because the battle has already been won, ultimately. The battle has already been won. So we are battling from a position of victory, not seeking victory. We already have the victory in Jesus. And so we are just going into this battle as the already victorious people and children of God. But for some of you, you've been taking so many hits that, that your hope is really depleted right now. I will confess that this last month, as I've been wrestling with this, this message, hope is not a word that I would have described my last month with. And it almost felt silly that I was trying to write a message about guarding your hope. Because we all know what it's like. We all know what it's like to have those things that just feel hopeless. Maybe you have a prodigal that you've been praying for and praying for and praying for, and if you're honest, your prayers are getting fewer and fewer and fewer because it just seems like the years keep going. Maybe you have a marriage where you're just seeing things that you want to see it thrive, but, but if you put your hope that it's going to turn around, you know you're going to be disappointed, and so you just start to give up. 
think we all know what those kind of feelings are like. Uh, a month ago, Kelly and I were on a, a trip. It was actually a work trip for her, and we were by the ocean. Rough work trip. My summer work trip is to Garden City. She's not nearly as excited about that. We were on this trip, and we're on the beach just relaxing and watching, and the wind was really strong that day, or a couple days while we were there. And I noticed something happening. As, as the waves get closer to shore, they begin to break, and, and, the, and they break, and it's pretty forceful. And so people were going into about knee or waist de- depth in the water, and they would just stop right there because the waves were really hitting them. But what they couldn't maybe see was that we could see from up higher in the beach was that if they just took about 10 to 15 more steps, those waves were not breaking, and it was just gentle rolling ocean. And I felt like as I was watching this, there was, there was this, like, just voice in my spirit saying, some of us just need to keep going. We're standing still because we feel like the, the, the hits are just coming and coming and coming. And if I keep going, they're going to be overwhelming. Some of us just need to keep going. Keep going. Now, I'm not going to promise you that you're going to have a breakthrough and all of the things you hope for are just going to come true and it's going to be all wonderful. But I can tell you, if you will keep going, God is going to do something in you that is greater than you could ever ask for or imagine. He will do something in you. He will do something. But you need to keep going. I want to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I don't want this to be some sort of weird emotional moment, but uh, the shirt I'm wearing says that our God is a God who strengthens and encourages. It's the shirt from the mission trip for the fourth and fifth graders. Encourages. God is an encouraging God. I love that, that word, encourage, because it carries a literal meaning of, of pouring courage in. Some of us need the Spirit of God to pour some courage into our lives today. And the great news is I believe he desires to do that. I don't need to know. I don't need you to raise your hand. But, but perhaps this would be a time when just right out in front of you on your lap there, you might turn your palms up just in a receiving position. And I want us to pray together. Spirit of God, would you pour courage into your children? Would you pour courage into those parents who are praying for a prodigal to hope again? Would you pour courage into people who are seeing things at work, at home, with kids, with life, seemingly falling apart? Would you pour courage in them to hope God, for the person that can hear my voice who feels alone, feels like they are taking hit after hit after hit, and they're exhausted. God, I pray that you would help them to see that they have people around them. And God, I pray that you would help us as a church to be the kind of place where we can link arms and say, I gotcha. God, I pray that you would pour courage into people who need to hope again in you. Maybe maybe they walked away. Maybe somebody can hear my voice right now and you have not yet made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. 
And so you are taking hits and you need this armor of God that is such a gift for you. If that's you, if you need to make today the day of salvation, the day where you say, God, I need you and I will follow you, just in your heart, would you just pray this with me? Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. I put my faith and my trust in you. I turn from the sin that that has so easily brought me down. I want to follow you, to go your way. I receive your grace by faith. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.